Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing Star Trek Prodigy Episode 4, Dreamcatcher. When the title was announced, I think I said to you that if this is the episode that introduces Chakotay, I was going to burn something down. So, good news yep. for my criminal record, I don't have to set anything on fire this week. It actually had no terrible allusions to Indigenous people at all. It's a low bar, but we cleared it. It's a low bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For once, Star Trek has listened to us and Prodigy is going on hiatus after next week. So yay, we don't have to cover two Star Trek series simultaneously. But boo, I'm not prepared to lose these characters for two months. No, I love them. I know. They, they've rapidly really just crawled into my brain. Yeah. I, I'll, I was so excited that we were going to talk about it today because I just have so many things to say. I'm so excited. Yes. And also, I feel like we have not had enough episodes yet to really get enough momentum for Fick to happen. So... Yeah, I just feel like it seems too soon to go on hiatus and maybe they should have started a few weeks earlier to get more of that momentum happening. Also, if next week goes the way I expect, and I guess we can get into my predictions later, I worry that we're in for two or three months of discourse about how Gwyn is a terrible person. I don't want that at all. No. I want none of that. <laughs> no, no. But I do have a pretty clear idea of where next week would end up. And mm. so far, this series has not really surprised me in terms of narrative beats. So I would be, mm. I will be shocked and humbled if I'm wrong. Put it this way. <laughs> Cut to next week where I'm completely wrong. It is a kid's show. I yeah. think it's following a narrative more readily than something like Discovery does. Although yeah. Discovery also follows the narrative, just people get angry about it. <laughs> it's true. And certainly, you know, this week was the, this planet is giving you everything you want. What if it's a trap? Story. And yes. that is very familiar to the experienced Trekkie, but the experienced Trekkie is not the target audience here. And I feel like this was a well-executed version of that trope, and we got a lot of character development along the way. Exactly. This episode was entirely about character development. Mm. Things happened, but the plot was secondary. This week was about setting up the characters, and I think next week will be reuniting with the Diviner. And reuniting with the plot in that way. Yes, yes. And it was great. Even in the first scenes, we got a lot of character development for these kids and also for Janeway. And I just think it might have been a mistake to take one of the most relentlessly curious captains in Starfleet and make her the template for the training hologram. Because, <laughs> A, I think that Hollow Janeway knows that these are not cadets. And she's going along with it because she's curious about mm -hmm. what they're doing and she genuinely wants to explore the universe with them. That's so Janeway. Yes. And she's only a week old. She has the <laughs> knowledge and skills of an adult, but 
she is also very young. And so while people are going, well, obviously it's silly to send a bunch of kids off onto a strange planet in the Herogen system, I don't know how reliable an adult Janeway is. She's also not an adult. Actually, this entire ship is run by children. Yes. Including the hologram. And however old Zero is. My heart broke when Janeway said she couldn't leave the ship. Yes! I was so sad. That's the other reason I think that she was the wrong choice for this hologram. Because that must be so heartbreaking to have sort of the drive of a Starfleet captain and be unable to fulfil it. And have to rely on your charges, your very unreliable children (laughs) to do the work for you. Yeah. When she was like trying to get in touch with Dahl and he was totally separated from anything related to the communications. Yeah, look, we're gonna have to have the captain lets us know when he takes his comm badge off talk. But I think that is part of the, the journey that Dahl is on in terms of learning how to be a leader and how to be responsible. And again, for the people complaining, he has literally no model for any of this. He is making it up as he goes along. Yes. And yeah, he's always had to rely on himself. Yeah. But my heart broke for every single character on the Protostar this week. I was just sitting yes. on the train with my phone in my hands, the Paramount Plus app open, going, I love these children and this hologram. <laughs> you can see in our notes here that I have a little list of yeah. like what made me the most the emoji with the little wibbling eyes. <laughs> I watched it again today. Specifically, because I was like, I want to get every moment of wibbling down on my list. (laughs) And most of them I remembered, but I wanted to describe it accurately and in order. And it was so much fun to just watch it again, knowing everything that was going to happen. I was so emotionally invested in nearly every moment of this particular episode. There was a point early on where I was like, oh... I know how this story is going, let's just cut to the bit where the planet is creepy. But that is, again, because I am not the target audience for this story, and I really did love the character beats that we got through seeing everyone's illusions. You have the note here, Rock and Jenkin get comfort, Zero gets a puzzle, Dahl and Gwyn get family and validation. It's the things they most need. It's, it's a sort of Maslow's hierarchy of alien kid needs. We first get, I think Zero is the first one to really get something with her puzzle that she goes into the labyrinth and is drawn to the engine of the ship, which is obviously not there. Zero is so interesting because they spend the entire time, as soon as they step on the planet, describing how it's inaccurate and the readings are wrong and everything's not going the way it's supposed to be going, but they're still drawn into it and they're still, like, get completely trapped. So what you're saying is that Zero is a Trekkie? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Zero's like, all of my spidey senses are going off here, but I'm going to ignore them completely and continue (laughs) going forward so that I can figure it out. And that's what I mean by this puzzle. It's like, they can't help themselves. And in addition to just it being a labyrinth itself, was was very Alice of... Yes. And I love that they're non-corporeal and they're immune to, for example, Jenkins' farts. But 
they're still susceptible to the intellectual mystery of this planet. I love them. If they had a body, I would give them a hug. You can give them an intellectual hug, a brain hug. I think that's just telling them that I like them a lot, which I do. Yeah, I guess, if you want to feel prosaic about it. And then Rock, as the little girl, gets small, cute animals to play with. But I think the important thing is that they love her and they want to be with her and they want to receive affection from her. This is a child with so much love to give and aside from Murph, she's not really in the place for that. To get that, yeah. She is still finding her place and the others need to take her needs into account because she is a lot younger than they are. Yeah, and I don't think that they realize what that means. And it's hard because she's like the biggest one of them. Yeah. And and she's literally a rock, so she seems like she's stable. Yes. In fact, she's a child, a very young child who clearly wants affection and I would say touch starved. Yes. Which makes perfect sense because again, she's a rock. And she's been living in mines with people who are twice her age who think that she's a monster. It wasn't just that it was a cute little animal. You know, she wanted she wanted to go on the adventure. She wanted to see something fun. And she found a cute little pet. Also, like, she says that their kisses were so wet or something like that. Yes! And that was so heart-wrenching when you really think about what that line means to her. Yeah. It's like, oh my goodness, she just wants someone to interact with her on a very base level of, you know, I want affection and they're giving it to me. The opposite of Zero and our prosaic, we're going to tell you we like you. Just showing. Yeah, and it's interesting that the animals are sort of a consolation when she's left behind by everyone else. I think there's no malice in the other kids, but it has a really... It has the natural dynamic of a bunch of teenagers and a much younger child. They forget how Mm -hmm. young she is, they forget that she's not self-sufficient, and I think that's pretty normal, but also heartbreaking. Completely heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. Everything about it. And even Jenkum, like you mentioned his fart. Yes. And I didn't, I mean, you know, like whatever. They always put <laughs> fart jokes for little boys. I get it. Fine. But I don't love that Jenkum is really like the most. I don't even know how to describe it, but he's, like, last week we called him working class and the butt of the joke. And I don't want him to be the face of farts. I just don't. It's heartbreaking again that what he's drawn to is the stew that he was fed on the Teller sleeper ship, which I guess suggests that he maybe isn't even from the 24th century, and that's why he had never heard of the Federation. And it would also explain how he's in the Delta Quadrant. Yes. I like him, and obviously his story was as heartbreaking as anyone's, and we learned more about his backstory. But you're right, it's a bit troubling that he is sort of the most earthy physical comedy, physical needs character. You know, he farts, he eats, he is very much a teenage boy in that respect. But it's like, it's, 
again, not my type of character, and then that's okay, because there should be a character for everybody. You know, they should have lots of different kinds, kinds mm-hmm. of characters so that everybody feels represented and feels um, like they can relate to something. But I don't relate to him, and I wish... I just, I want to like Adela, right? <laughs> and I do. I'm not saying I, I dislike him, but he's like the least... He's the one that I'm least invested and engaged with. Yeah, same. And I wonder if that's partly his appearance and that he is the ugly looking stout guy who looks like a pig. And I don't like what that says about me. But it's also that he is written as the comic relief in a kid's show. Right. He also had that line where it's like Janeway said that this planet was beautiful. On a sort of like an intellectual level, I want to be like, oh, it's cool that his aesthetics are different from ours, and that's a good mm. thing. But again, it comes off as he doesn't fit in with the rest of us, and he doesn't see beauty in what is beautiful. Yeah, he's so... ugly, so he thinks that ugly things are beautiful, and he is wrong. Right. Yeah. I don't like that. No. But maybe it'll get better. I think it will, and I think that his history is clearly very interesting, as he's also a character with a prosthesis, which I think is important. Yeah. And it is cool yeah. to have a character with a disability who is who is the comedic character and whose comedy doesn't come from his disability. I just mm. think he's just not the character for me, and that's okay. That's okay. You know who is the character for me? Gwyn. <laughs> Gwyn. Yes. 1,000%. Everything she did this week, I was like, this is my girl. I saw someone go, well, if she could do that with her weapon, why didn't she do that last week? It's like, because Rock Talk would have put her straight back in the brig. Right. (laughs) The only one that she can manipulate is Murph. And even that doesn't really go well. (laughs) (laughs) But I do like, she was sort of like, Murph is going to be my co-conspirator like she was sort of like i can use you i kind of liked that she looked at murph and saw a potential ally instead of putting murph in prison in her place which she could have easily done she was initially curious about them and even after she's figured out that if they're sentient they're still not helpful she still saves murph at the end right i mean that was like amazing that was the best moment but i also liked it there like after she gets out and she breaks the ball or something and she's like eat up murph we're going on an adventure (laughs) again she didn't just throw him in the brig yeah she was like murph you're still here and you're gonna be my guy (laughs) and you you might be useless but i'm not alone if you're here yeah i think she is lonely and in not siding with dal she has lost really the only friend she's ever had and that he is the only friend she's ever had really is another thing that breaks my heart. When she is talking with the hologram mm. and she's saying, you know, my father taught me astrophysics and propulsion and all of this stuff. And I didn't know why, but it's so that I could pilot this ship so that I would be in charge of this ship. That was really sad to me yes. <laughs> because it means that he's a tool for her father. She's the means to his end. Whatever his end is, she's just another pawn in the game. And that's just really sad. The way that it was delivered, it felt like she was saying, I've finally figured out my place in my father's plan and I have a a goal now and it's great. And he was grooming me for this wonderful job. And like, she was happy about it. And yet I was sitting over here going, it means doesn't care about you at all no it's just 
It was devastating. And we as the audience know that he is more upset about losing his ship than losing his progeny, but she doesn't. And I think that is the realisation she has to have to bring her fully onto Team Protostar's side. What a horrible, heartbreaking thing. Again, this is the character Mm. made for me because I can see where her story is going and it is so sad. Yes. And she's going to have to go through so much to get to where she needs to be. And that is just, you know, I don't see her as this evil person. I see her as a victim of circumstance and her society and her upbringing. And I'm so sad for her to have to go through all of this, even though I know that she's going to go through all this and there's still going to be people who are going to call her a war criminal. Yes. And say that she's... (laughs) <laughs> that that she can't be redeemed and I just don't as you said at the top of this I don't want to go through it <laughs> I don't want that whole experience that I am envisioning because again she's my character and all of my characters have I've gone through it with all of them so over in Avatar we have Zuko the greatest redemption arc of all time according to Tumblr I mean, it's really good, but it's not the only good one. But Zuko has a younger sister, Azula, who's 14, and she is literally a war criminal, and she is not redeemed by the end of the series. And I was called problematic in Avatar fandom because I was like, yeah, I realise that she's done terrible things, but I don't think this 14-year-old girl who was also raised by an abusive father and trained as a child soldier and who has a complete mental breakdown is actually irredeemable. I think she has the potential to be a good person. I spend a lot of my time in fandom spaces talking about how all of these quote-unquote war criminals are not irredeemable. That's my first point, Mm -hmm. is no one, certainly no one in fiction, is irredeemable because that's what fiction is (laughs) we are not talking about real people how can you want an irredeemable person in a kids show no what is the lesson that you're telling children also i understand the difference between a character in a kid's cartoon and henry kissinger for example exactly again It's fiction, and I'm not saying that to excuse what they do. I'm saying that that means that it's a safe environment to explore these stories. And it doesn't actually have any real-world consequences. Absolutely, it can inspire people. It inspires me. Yeah. But that is different from consequences, from actual harm to actual people. I feel like my preemptive Gwyn soapbox. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no. Uh, the second she started interacting with Janeway, part of me was like, okay, this is where Janeway turns her to the other side. And I was so happy. Except Janeway <laughs> is a hologram and Gwyn restored I... her factory settings. I really enjoyed that, I gotta say. Oh, yeah. I really yeah. liked Janeway being like, I'm going to report you and I'm going to lock you out of everything. And then she's like... I guess I'm on your side now. It was great because Hollow Janeway clearly knew that, like, she was reset back to factory settings, but not entirely. Yeah. Because she was acting like, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. 
her programming forced her to go along with Gwyn as mm. captain, I guess now. I don't know. It was a really interesting interaction, the two of them. Yeah. And also that as much as, and we're going to get to Dahl, and I'm going to cry. As much as Dahl needs a parent, Gwyn definitely needs a parent. Oh, <laughs> Who yeah. is not treating her like a tool. The, the fact that she was treating Janeway as a tool in a way that even the others don't, even though they, they know that she's a hologram and mm. she's a program, they're starting to treat her differently already. But Gwyn was like, no, you're the exact same thing as my sword and you're going to do what I need you to do. Yes. The others started out treating Janeway as a tool as well and a tool they didn't really want to use. So... I don't think that is just a Gwyn thing, but yeah, it's an interesting parallel. And I, I just want every single person on this ship to get a flesh and blood adult in there to look after them and tell them right. it's okay. So I used to work for a comic book blog. So every Friday we would do these questions and there was this one week where we did like, who's your favorite orphan in comic books? And let me tell you, there's a lot That's of a long list. Books. Yeah. <laughs> when it was suggested, you know, one, one of my co-bloggers was like, I don't know how you're going to choose between Peter Parker and Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I did not choose. I listed like 10 <laughs> orphans <laughs> in, in comic books that were my favorite orphans in comic books. And I bring this up because everyone in this show is an orphan. Yeah. I've written a lot about this. There are reasons that you make a character, especially in middle grade, and young adult fiction, an orphan, it's because everyone has parents, and so everyone has the ability to understand what not having parents would be like. So it's a very easy way to get like sympathy for that character and to make them a damaged person. Yes. And, and that's where you want to start with a hero. And also in young adult and children's media, in order to have the fantasy of the child with agency and the child who is completely responsible for their right. own life, you kind of do need to sideline the adults a bit. You don't necessarily right. have to kill them off, but you need to give your children independence. So I love that this series was like, we're going to make all of them have really tragic backstories and no parents. And that's going to be our default. So that's mm. going to be where we mm. start. And they literally have to band together and raise each other mm. and build their own family unit and that is always my favorite story yes. so i just love it i love it and i love like we were saying that gwyn is not going to be a part of the family until she orphans herself basically until she says i gotta get away from this terrible person who is my father until she spends a few hours reading raised by narcissists and goes no contact yes so Dahl's hallucination. Dahl takes off in the cool dune buggy because Patrick Stewart's legacy is weirder than most people realise. <laughs> and, and he goes hooning around and then he sees his parents or his idea of what his parents could possibly look like. Because mm -hmm. he doesn't have... Yeah. It reminded, it reminded me, of, me um... of two things. Yes. No, no, go ahead. You, you started. Oh, it reminded me of Star Wars Rebels and the arc where Ezra is looking for his parents and trying to find out what happened to them. And Thank you. 100% that oh, was the you first were... thing okay. I thought of. Okay, cool, cool. Okay. <laughs> so 
especially the fact that they were facing from him and you only saw the back i was like this is straight up right out of star wars rebels yes that arc he eventually gets basically the same thing where he goes through the wall and he gets to see his imaginary life and everything that he might want and then it's interrupted by emperor palpatine i was just like this is extremely star wars Mm. rebels this entire sequence could have just been pulled right out. Again, that is a compliment. That is not a complaint. <laughs> they, but even like the way, because they were face away and the angles, it was the same image and it was yeah. just very, very strong to me. And then the other obvious connection I would say is the mirror of Erised in Harry Potter. Oh, of course. Yes. And that's heartbreaking, you know? Harry didn't know anything about his history either. Like, he knew that he was human, but he didn't know he was a wizard, and he didn't know who his parents were or anything about how they really died. It's like those connections, again, orphans and longing. Ezra gets a family. Mm. I believe in Dahl finding his family. But what I want to talk about, part that made me cry, Yes, is that... so. The planet can't actually give Dahl, like, his parents exactly because he doesn't have any memory of his parents. He doesn't know any other people that are like him at all. None. No, <laughs> In the whole no. universe. And so the planet knows that that's what he wants, but the planet also knows there's a 0% chance that he would find his parents on this random planet. And that planet understands that and has to give him other things. And specifically and Janeway. Can, like, talk to him as if they they know it's an issue but yes so Janeway shows up and I like immediately started crying because that means that Janeway is his parents is the parent that he's reaching out for and wanting in the same way that Ezra imprints on Kanan and Hera (laughs) Dahl has Janeway and that is such a fun place to be because Janeway is a hologram that is a week old and know, is not a real person in any way. Exactly as imaginary as his parents are is Janeway. He knows it's not Janeway right away because he's like, she said she couldn't come off the ship, so it's not you. It's really interesting. Like, this is my favorite version of the illusion because the planet is like bargaining with Doll, which to me means that it read something in Doll and it was like, you know what, you want to stay here and be safe, you know? Like, you don't want to be on the run. You don't want to be worrying about this stuff. Just stay here and we'll take care of you. It's like giving him these options. Like, it doesn't give any of the others the option. No! But it does give him the option to, like, choose to stay there. And that is super interesting. I I think that's, again, the sign that he is the best choice for Captain. Right, yes. The planet recognizes it, which is great. But he doesn't agree, and he he runs back to the ship, and he calls out Janeway, like, to the real yeah. Janeway, to the ship Janeway. And I was just like, I can't handle the feelings I am having about this little purple teenager and his hologram mom. <laughs> I was done in that moment. I, I do love that... Janeway is a week old and a hologram and a single mother. I I love this for her. It's great. Exactly. And and, yeah, the respect between Dahl and Janeway is really 
something that I'm eager to see grow. Oh gosh, this show just makes me so happy. I'm I'm incoherent with happiness. So happy. Yes. Also, let's talk about how great Kate Mulgrew's voice work was in this episode. Yes! The sadness when she says she can't leave the ship, the knowingness as she calls them cadets and threatens to call their parents, I mean Starfleet, which I don't actually think the Protostar had any intention of doing, because I think the Protostar... I don't think the Protostar knows where it is, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, Starfleet isn't here. I, I'm assuming that they're exploring the transwarp barriers and that there is some option for communication. But I also think the Protostar thinks via Janeway that it's on a very nice adventure and it's going to see what happens. You know, if Janeway and the Protostar are essentially the, the same entity at this point, that is what I think the ship is thinking. But Kate Mulgrew's voice was just, just amazing. And then as evil plant Janeway a replica of a replica of a real person it's Janeway's all the way down she had to play like four different Janeways yeah and it was like I didn't need the visuals to tell the difference she did a really good job of, yeah. of conveying what was being done and that makes sense to me because Kate Mulgrew is a voice actress even yeah. when she's in person, you know, like on Voyager, <laughs> she has a very specific tone and yes. she absolutely is able to convey things with just her voice. And as I think we saw with Marvel's What If, just because you're a good screen actor doesn't mean you have the skills to be a good voice actor. But Mulgrew does mm. and she has a lot of experience. She does a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. As Janeway and as herself. It's a performance. Like she's yeah. just really good at that. So. Props to Kate Mulgrew. I, I feel like of all the captains they could have scanned to be the emergency training hologram, I do think Kate Mulgrew is the best choice. I love that it's Janeway. I love it. I love that I said this, that all of them, um, but especially Dahl, call her Janeway yeah. instead of Captain Janeway. Because everyone on Voyager calls her Captain Janeway, or maybe once in a while, Catherine. Yeah. You know, as someone who loves Voyager and can recite entire episodes, I obviously have a deep connection mm. to Janeway, and that one little difference of calling this hologram Janeway and not Captain Janeway makes it a whole different character. The familiarity. Yeah, it takes away the familiarity I have with the character so that I can connect with her as a different person than the Janeway that I know. And that's super clever. And it, it shows, again, that they are clearly not cadets. <laughs> they do not care about any kind of rank or title. And again, the way that Dahl shouts for Janeway in that one moment, it's not a title and it's not a name. It's like a term of endearment almost. <laughs> like, hey, you are the person that I need. You know, yeah. come help me. I love that choice. I don't know who in the writing's room made that choice, but it is an A+. Plus. I am just so grateful for them. Yeah. And 
I think the series stands on its own, and so I am not hanging out waiting for them to meet Chakotay or to meet Admiral Janeway, the actual person. But also, I really, really hope that they do meet Admiral Janeway, the actual person, because I want to see how much of their relationship with the hologram Janeway maps onto her, and for her to realise she sort of has a bunch of stepkids. You said that maybe there's not enough time to write fic or or something, but now I'm like, okay, I want to write fic about them reading real Janeway and Dahl being like, yeah, you're not my mom. (laughs) You're like, you're my weird drunk aunt. But, like, I just, I'm so excited for all of the possibilities. I I want it to happen in the show, but I also don't want it because I don't want it to like ruin my head. The words, you're not my real mom, just went through my head and made me so happy. Oh my goodness. Again, the Dal and Jamie relationship is going to keep me going for weeks. Yeah. I'm so happy. And it instantly made me love Dal. Like, he is my son. (laughs) And, And you cannot say anything against him. I, w- I will protect him with my life. Just in the Dahl is the new Tom Paris mode, the, the concept that we invented this week, yes. I feel like Tom would also grab the dune buggy and go for a ride and would 100%. also be enthusiastic about the hold on to your butt bars. And he would want his parents but also want Janeway. Yes. Like, Everything is very Tom Paris. So now I want Dahl to also meet Tom Paris. I was just thinking that based on Lower (laughs) Decks, I don't know that Robert Duncan McNeil is one of those actors who's also a good voice actor. But don't mind. Like, the animation can do a lot of the heavy lifting here. The animation is outstanding. I just want Dahl to meet his big brother. It is so beautiful. Like, I cannot get over how pretty everything was. Even those stupid vines that the evil planet uses to capture people, which were definitely the most boring part of the animation, mm. were fine. I, I could put up with them. So when Dahl is on the cliff, the animation of him and then the animation of the environment he was in was both, like, a masterclass. It was so beautiful. And the animated acting like when the fake diviner no when the fake diviner says he's proud of Gwyn and she says you're not my dad everything in her posture and her face tells me that she wishes that that was true and she wishes that her father was someone she could believe would say he was proud of her and offer her a hug Oh my goodness. That was another heartbreaking scene. <laughs> the whole thing was very, very painful. And obviously the part where she said, you're not my dad, and she figured it out. And, and him calling her by her name. Oh my Windara. gosh. Uh, not enough tears for that moment. But just at the very beginning, when she says sort of stiltingly, you came out of your chamber. I yeah. Is what it is. Again, how heartbreaking that he just always sees her through a view screen (laughs) like come on diviner you're not even trying to pretend that you're a good parent (laughs) he doesn't even respect her enough to pretend to be (laughs) it's just so upsetting okay this is what i think is going to happen next week dal and gwyn and the others will 
form an alliance to save the ship and they'll start to get along and put their differences aside and Gwyn will be coming around and then the Diviner will turn up and capture them and reclaim Gwyn and then as the season resumes after the hiatus we'll have Gwyn realising that her father doesn't actually need or respect her or treat her as a person Mm -hmm. and then she will bust the others out. Yeah, I can see that. That makes sense to me. And hopefully this time they'll bring the cat with them. I mean, I was just thinking that. We didn't mention that last week the cat was in the episode last Yeah. Week. So it's like, they introduced that cat for a reason. Yes. <laughs> okay. They made a point of making that cat the face of innocence in this hell that mm. all of these kids live in. And it's important. So... Now I'm wondering, yeah. because we were talking about how Rock Talk is sort of the only young child, maybe the cat, the vacation kitten, is going to become a regular mm. later in the season and will be the friend and peer that Rock Talk needs. And needs. also, you know, cats like to be stroked and they purr and mm-hmm. I think... The, this. <laughs> Good kitten. for everyone. Yeah, this kitten could be the, the, the source and object of affection that Rock Talk so badly needs and which she probably oh. needs as well. I I agree. But I do want to say that I actually really like the relationship between Rock Talk and Gwyn, which is obviously in its infancy. Yes. Like they're, they're certainly not friends. They're barely acquaintances. They're enemies. Yeah, they're enemies. But... Rock Talk clearly cares about Gwyn as a person, which is, again, more than anyone else in Gwyn's life does. Yeah. So good job, Rock Talk. She apologizes for putting the restraints on her so that she can't escape. And then at the very end, when it crashes, Rock Talk shouts, Gwyn! Yes! Like, she's really worried that something has happened to mm-hmm. Gwyn. Rock Talk cares about taking care of Gwyn as a prisoner the way that Gwyn and everyone else in the prison did not care about taking care of Rock Talk as a prisoner. And I think that that is commendable. Yeah. And it's a really good basis for a beginning of an actual relationship between those two characters. And also what we were saying last week on, on our prison abolition rant about how even people who are dangerous need to be treated properly and with respect and kindness, even if they can't have their freedom... That is what Rock Talk is doing. Right, exactly. And it's like, in regards to prison abolition, people who get out of prison and don't end up back in prison, like Mm. most people who get out of prison end up back. It's terrible. But the people who get out and like do advocacy for people who are still in prison, they don't want like their guards to, they're horrible guards who absolutely misuse their powers and do everything bad. But they're, like, never calling for those people to also be in prison, you know? Yeah. They come from it with a position of compassion and kindness, and that's what Rock Talk is doing. It's like, I have been where you are, and I don't want you to live through that. Yeah. I feel like if any character on this show is a role model, it's Rock Talk. I want to be more like Rock, Rock Talk, Talk, and I'm 39 years old. <laughs> no, it's like, we should all be more like Rock Talk, because she, yeah, she has this this curiosity, this real belief that we should be kinder <laughs> to people, and 
it that yeah that's inspiring not in a cloying way you know she still no. calls out Gwyn and she still objects when her needs are overruled she has boundaries and she is learning to assert them but she is very kind at the same time and I think that is a behavior that is really worth modeling yeah. You have a note here that the Hirogen system is a cute nod to the killing game. I obviously recognised the Hirogen, but I forgot about the killing game as a story where they make realities. Yeah. When I first wrote this note, I, w I wrote it as a question, and it was, is the Hirogen system a cute nod to the killing game, or is the killing game actually important to the plot? <laughs> and I decided that it wasn't. I decided that my foreknowledge of the killing game was getting in the way of my enjoyment of that cute nod. I think it would be ridiculous yeah. for this his series to lean on a plot from a random Voyager two-parter from like season four or whatever that was about Nazis. Exactly. <laughs> Bad times, guys. <laughs> but... I do think that it is this cute nod to both the Killing Game and Shore Leave. You know, like an Easter egg for the Trekkies who are watching it. Yes. As opposed to the kids. The kids. Or the new people. Yeah. And your note about the Alice aesthetic made me, of course, think of Michael Burnham. There's the maze, and I think Zero is a bit of an Alice figure, but... Alice in Wonderland is present throughout all of Discovery and Michael Burnham is also an orphan who finds herself in space and finds her family on a Starfleet ship. And I love synergies. I love synergies. Again, as soon as I started pointing out in my head the Alice references, like the labyrinth is obvious, but also Jankum's food is an Alice reference as well, yes. I would say. And obviously, you know, the whole idea of the things I think about come to life, which is in Shore Leave, which starts with Alice in Wonderland. So those things were occurring to me already. But as soon as I thought of it, I was like, and that intrinsically connects it to Michael Burnham. Mm. Obviously, the Star Trek universe exists all within one universe, but there's so much of it now that it's, it's easy to not see that. It's yeah. It's easy to say, like, I'm a Discovery fan, I'm a Prodigy fan, I'm a Next Generation fan, and like... And then we fight. Yeah. Yeah, and then we fight. And it's like, actually, we're all under this umbrella, and I just really appreciate that Paramount Plus is nodding to that at all. I think it's notable that Alex Kurtzman brought in the showrunners because they had already run successful CGI animation series for kids and invited them to pitch a spin-off and they walked out going we're not really diehard star trek fans do we really have a story to tell and obviously the answer they reached was yes but because they mm. didn't come in as diehard trekkies i think they are using existing canon and existing elements really judiciously and cleverly and i think that's Smart. good i think yeah you definitely don't want another lower decks which is Amazing, but it is by Trekkies for Trekkies. Mm, yes, I agree with that. Lower Decks is one of those, how can you watch this if you are not a Star Trek? And, and yeah. Picard too. Picard is so opaque <laughs> to anyone who doesn't know who Picard is, who doesn't know who Data is, who doesn't know <laughs> what happened in those 
you know, seven to 14 years of Next Generation. Yeah. If you don't know that, how do you understand that show? Friends I have who were casual Trekkies or who picked up Star Trek for the first time with Discovery did not finish season one Mm. of Picard because it was not for them. They didn't have enough affection for the characters to stick around despite the messiness of it. And there was too much that they didn't understand. So there was no emotional connection. You know, what's this cube in space doing? Why is that important? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, what's what's a Borg? Like, there's so much. What's an android? What's a Maddox? Like, there's so much that doesn't make sense. If you don't have that, like, how can you watch it? Yeah. And Lower Decks is less so. Lower Decks doesn't require you to know what all of that stuff is, but the humor doesn't make sense if you don't know what that stuff is. A lot of it, yeah. Like, I am not enough of a diehard TOS fan to appreciate the joke about the pronunciation of Magatu. That had to be explained to me. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I don't even remember that happening, so clearly that went right over my head. And Deep Space Nine, I think, is the spin-off of the 90s that doesn't have a sequel yet, because it's so self-contained compared to the others, Mm. and yet so dense with lore and characters and politics that... It's actually. I guarantee if if Deep Space Nine did have a spinoff, I would have to watch Deep Space Nine again in order to get it. Like, also, I mean, again, I not to Deep Space Nine is great, and yay for everybody who thinks it's the best Star Trek. Like, you're you're valid, yay you. Mm. I do not have that experience. I can tell you, you know, in at least broad strokes, everything that happened on Next Generation and Voyager. But Deep Space Nine, it got a lot into the weeds. And, and I think so... I think in some ways the complexity and self-contained nature of Deep Space Nine is why it has so many fans now, and particularly fans who haven't really watched a lot of other Star Trek. And I think that's fantastic. Mm. But, like, I could see... A series like set on Bajor, I could even see Nana Visitor coming back to play older Kira in the next phase of her life and career. I could see subplots about Cardassia and rebuilding and democracy after the war. But other than that, like th- those are the aspects of Deep Space Nine that really interest me. Whereas the Dominion and the Changelings don't really care. The Klingons hate what Deep Space Nine did with the Klingons. That's that's the other thing. Odo was my least favorite character yeah. in early Deep Space Nine, right? Odo was just never going to be my favorite character. And so when, much like how Voyager, much like how Voyager became a lot about Seven, Deep Space Nine became a lot about Odo. Yeah. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care about his evil origins i don't care about these people who like want to take over the alpha quadrant i don't care about any of this my favorite cardassian is seska <laughs> i didn't I, I feel terrible saying this but i don't like garrick oh my god i've never met anyone who I didn't know, like sorry garrick. i, I like love a horrible garrick. horrible no 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 <laughs> look someone has to take that bullet and i'm glad it's you i can appreciate Certain parts of Deep Space Nine I absolutely love. Ezri, I love Far Beyond the Stars. I love uh, Jadzia when Jadzia got to be Jadzia and mm. not like Person or yes or a plot point. <laughs> I don't know. Jadzia was misused, I shall say. So but there are plenty misused. of things that I like 
about Deep Space Nine, but like I'm always saying I want more politics in Star Trek. I want to know more about how the Federation works. I want more people who saying the Federation is bad. But the thing is that when I say stuff like that, people are always like, well, you should watch Deep Space Nine if that's what you want. And Deep Space Nine just didn't work for me. No. I'm, I'm not saying that there are, like, Far Beyond the Stars is honestly, like, one of my favorite episodes of all of Star Trek. I think it is perfect. It's not really about Deep Space Nine. <laughs> so, it's like, that's the Deep Space Nine that I love the most. Yeah, the one with no Deep Space Nine characters. I often, I often feel like a bad Trekkie when I express these opinions. It's sort of like with Babylon 5. I would probably enjoy it if I watched it, but I have so many bad connotations, bad, like, emotional feelings of nerds pressuring you to watch it and telling you how great it is and how much you'll love it exactly yeah this is why i don't push you to watch avatar because i don't want to do that to you (laughs) yeah it's hard there's so much television available to me why should i watch something that i don't feel no, someone like, once told me that I should be a Deep Space Nine fan because Kira is basically a character who is made for me, and they are right, but also that made me hate Kira. Like, sometimes just telling me these things will make me go all contrary and dig my heels in and say, I, I have this, no. I have a Kira block, I have a Kira block because she's not Roe, and that's totally unfair to, to Kira and to Nana Visitor absolutely a you problem but it's not the end of the world if you never get over it save that all this is going to make our eventual kai win episode really difficult for you and i'm sorry no we're like actually kai win is a hero no she's not a hero but she's also not irredeemable the other thing about Deep Space Nine that is a problem is that the end is so bad oh god i hate I, the end i so hate much. the ending i hate it i yes. I, no, Hmm. just no. We are wildly off topic and I'm probably going to trim a lot of this because I feel like this is spoilers for our Kai Win episode. So, no, no, no. But I am going to wrap up the intro. I just got a real rant there. Do you feel better for having got it off your chest? Yes, yes. Okay, good. so, yeah. And we'll get get there eventually. One day. When is there not going to be new Star Trek again? It's, it's a long road getting from there to here. Okay. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music and transcripts of our episodes, which tend to go up within a couple of days of an episode. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook at Antimatterpod and write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. In just 10-ish weeks, we'll be recording our 100th episode and giving away free stuff for our audience, so get those reviews in now. Arnica, I meant to tell you, I'm buying a second-hand cricket from my friend so I can print stickers. (gasps) I'm so excited! We can bypass Redbubble altogether. I'm so happy. (laughs) And join us next week when we'll be discussing episode 5 of Star Trek Prodigy, whose title has not yet been announced, and the first episode of Star Trek Discovery's fourth season, Kobayashi Maru, in which nothing bad is going to happen. I am super excited (laughs) about Kobayashi Maru.
<laughs> I know. So ready. So, so ready for that. 